I first saw Randy Bird talk about growing giant pumpkins at an art gallery in Hillsborough, North Carolina. I had sort of known about the giant pumpkin world because my cousin's husband had previously been into the activity. And of course, because of Charlie Brown. But I really didn't know all that much, and Randy completely captivated my attention. And so I did what any good podcaster would do. I tracked her down and convinced her to talk to me about pumpkins with a microphone in the room. Luckily, she agreed. We recorded this interview at the American Indian Center at UNC Chapel Hill, where Randy works as the Community Engagement Coordinator and facilitates the Healthy Native North Carolinians Network. In addition to growing giant pumpkins, she serves on the advisory committee for the North Carolina Native American Ethnobotany Project. And as you'll hear, Randy also believes passionately in the possibility of everyday magic. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. So we're here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. There is a music festival happening outside the window. So it's really the, if you hear the sounds of Chapel Hill, enjoy them. And we are in the American Indian Center in Chapel Hill with Randy Bird, who among many other things is a grower of giant pumpkins. How, I just like to start, when I say giant pumpkins, how big are we talking? just so people have an image, and then we'll get into some other questions I have. Right. Um, so my biggest pumpkin that I've grown has been uh, a little over 700 pounds, but they can get to you know, 2,600 pounds, I believe, is uh, approximately the world records pumpkin. 2,600 pounds. Yeah. It's like the size of it. Like, picture like a Volkswagen, like a you know small car that size for the world record pumpkins they can get that large but you personally have grown a 700 pound pumpkin mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that is a really big I think that's bigger than I expected you to I w- say I wasn't expecting it well I, how yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're like also me I didn't know what I was into how speaking of you didn't know what you were into how did you get into this how did you learn about it how did you come to this tell me how you became a giant pumpkin grower. Yeah, I I didn't know giant pumpkins were a thing. Um, I I have to. I've been asked this question many times, and I wish I had this crystal clear answer for myself. Um, when did I first encounter giant pumpkins, and um, you know what made me do this? Even try my hand at it. All I can tell you is that I had this significant seared emotional connection with pumpkins when I was really little. I had to be maybe three or four years old. I was at a daycare and it was October, I'm assuming, right? And um, the folks at the daycare said, we're going on a field trip today. And um, we pull up in our little, you know, van um, to this farmer's, you know, farm. And um, I didn't realize it, but it was actually my grandpa's farm. 
until we pulled in. I didn't realize that the farmer that we had been hearing about was actually my grandfather. So that in itself was really significant to me. Um, it made me feel special, um, but I had never seen his driveway this way. He had lined up all of these pumpkins up and down his driveway, which was, a, you know, like a quarter of a mile. It was so magical. It was like I was entering a portal. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very familiar with the space and this land. I go there all the time. It's my family. And yet I had never seen it in this way. It was just this magical place we were visiting and it was lined with pumpkins. And I, I've, I've been obsessed with pumpkins ever since. Not giant pumpkins, but pumpkins in general. I just have this very um, uh, drawn connection to them. And I, I think it stems back from that. I do, I do remember the feeling on that, on that van. You must have felt like <laughs> you were finding out you were related to a celebrity. Yes, in. It, it, it really did. Um, and I don't even remember him coming out and greeting us. I just remember seeing the pumpkins and um, of all different sizes. You know, there were no giant pumpkins there. They were, you know, just field pumpkins, but they were different shapes. And it, it was just beautiful. It was this work of art. Um, and I just remember the joy and just the fascination that I had going into that. I had never seen that space in that way. Um, and so the pumpkins just transformed everything in that moment and in that place and time. Um, and it, it just was this very um, joyful, blissful emotion that everyone there in the space had because of this. Yeah. Um, I don't know of any other thing that can cause that. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. That's really the perfect combination. It's your grandfather, it's your family mm -hmm. space, but your school's there seeing it, and yeah. it just looks magical. Mm -hmm. That. Mm -hmm. So then when did you become aware that people grew these giant, many hundred pounds pump, a pumpkin? I don't know. Oh, I wow. really don't know. I wish, yeah. I, I wish I could pinpoint it. All I can tell you is... Um, at, at some point along the way, you know, I, I have a green thumb. I've grown things all my life. I grew up on a farm, as I mentioned, um, especially in the summer times, we would grow things, spend a lot of time in the cornfield. But I, I, I was intrigued, I guess, at the state fair. You know, if you if you go to the state fair in North Carolina and you go to the agricultural building, you'll definitely encounter the giant pumpkins. And so I knew they were a thing. Right. But I began seeking um, way-offs, giant pumpkin way-offs. I had to learn the language of <laughs> this community in this world. Um, I went to a lot of pumpkin festivals and harvest festivals before I realized that they're not the same thing as giant pumpkin way-offs. You're not going to necessarily see a way-off at those places. So um, I had to start searching for way-offs. And in 2008, I attended my first. Um, this was in the Yadkin Valley. It was in Elkin, North Carolina, the uh, Yadkin Valley Great Pumpkin Way Off. It was raining, it was a miserable day, but there was still this festival happening, right? And then there was this way off. And for me, it, you know, for everyone there, it didn't turn anyone away. I mean, when it, you're gonna see giant pumpkins get weighed, I don't care if it's monsooning, you're gonna stay and you're gonna watch this because you can't get it anywhere else. You know? Yeah, it's such a special thing. Yeah. Who cares what the weather is yeah, doing? Exactly. So it was incredible. And I can recall, I just felt like that little kid again, you know, that three or four year old little kid again in awe 
and bliss and fascination just wanting to dive into that world. And without me having to say anything, I think the other growers saw that on my face, <laughs> in my body language. Like, oh, yeah, she's one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. Like, you were home she's with doomed, your pumpkin right? and, Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're like, oh, you see that one over there? Yeah. And um, and that it was history from that point forward. Um, I remember Sam Loveless, who at the time, he was the state champion. He came up and he said, you want some seeds? And then, you know, yes, and just um, just so gracious. That's, that's how I would describe pumpkin growers, is they're very generous and willing to help everyone else find the same joy, right, and have the opportunity. From that point forward, um, as soon as he gave me the seeds, I mean, I was holding, I remember holding these seeds like uh, they were precious, precious, precious cargo to me. Um, on on the way home and just like feeling of them in my hands and like I don't know what this is but this is this is the beginning of something and I knew I had to grow the next year the next you know as soon as the season started I had to learn everything that I possibly could and I was going to do this like without expectation of being successful <laughs> you were going to put the just, seeds in the I'm ground do, I was yeah. just I was just fully committed as if I wasn't even in charge of this. I don't, I can't explain it, but I was just full in. And I heard you, I learned about you growing giant pumpkins because I saw you give a reading in Hillsborough <laughs> this summer. Uh-huh. And you talked about, we're on Okanichi territory mm-hmm. and land in the central part of North Carolina. And you going to your Okanichi friends and loved ones and sort of trying to make sure that you were putting these seeds that were precious cargo in the ground in the right way. Mm-hmm. Can you, do you want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, everyone grows in their own way. I am not an expert in anything, quite frankly. I don't think anyone else is an expert in anything either. So we're all trying our best. Um, and in terms of, from a grower's perspective, um, I I guess I have to start off by saying it was about just the, of course, um, when I mentioned the, the desire to connect with this awe this magic that I, I couldn't quite understand, but I could feel and I could see. And I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to help create that. I wasn't in it to win it. You know, I wasn't in it because I want to grow the biggest and the best and the, you know, to receive the blue ribbon and all of that. That would be awesome if it would happen. You know, we always have goals, but um, we can strive for that. But for me, it's never been about the winning. It's just been about what can we create and, and find in this process, right? And so for me, as you know, an indigenous person, I, I just, the way that I see the world is um, in terms of space and time and who was here before, who still is here. Um, it's the way I walk through life. And so it, trying to put something in the ground and grow, which is what I've always done. I've always approached it in that way. So growing a giant pumpkin would be no different. So um, at the time when I grew, well, my first couple of pumpkins, uh, I'll, I'll say when I lived in Durham, 
I, you know, the closest tribe was the Okanichi Band of Saponi Nation. And so I reached out to some of my friends. Uh, everyone knew what I was doing, right? What I was getting into. Um, and they were eager and willing to be part of it. And I said, you know, um, I think it's important, you know me, and I want to do this right. So, um, and for me, doing it right meant doing it um, in our way, which is honoring the land, uh, asking permission, asking for help in the process. Like I'm working with the elements, I'm working with my other relations, whether that's the insects, whether that's the soil microbes, the plant itself, uh, mother nature, <laughs> you know, all of the above. I'm just one factor in all of this. So I need, I need some help from everywhere. And so um, that includes my Okanichi friends who have a connection with that, that land that I was growing on. Um, so I brought them in and we, um, did what we do. We do ceremony and we did that together. I even had some Okanichi friends come and help me actually till the soil, you know, so like literally working the soil with me. And I've had so many folks from, you know, neighboring tribes too. Um, almost every tribe in the state has participated in some way in my pumpkin patch, whether they, you know, gifted me with um, soil amendments or some kind of organic fertilizer or their time and their labor, like literally helping me scoop like, you know, horse manure out of stalls together with their grandchildren, you know. The Saponi tribe did that as well with me. It's just, it, it became a community pumpkin and not my pumpkin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone kind of bought into it and it was like this intertribal pumpkin because it was all about indigenous ways. It wasn't about growing the biggest and the best. It was about how can we use this? And we were practicing our culture and, and including people in the process, um, just like we do with everything else. So it was like a child of the, the, the tribes, <laughs> you know, this baby pumpkin that we started to name. And there's enough um, pumpkin for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's absolutely. 700 pounds of pumpkin yeah. to go around. <laughs> It's yeah. not, I love that image of just everyone coming together to say, yeah. like, let's see if we can grow mm -hmm. this big pumpkin. Yeah. And you've said there's a whole community of pumpkin <laughs> growers. Does this, is this all over the country? Is it, are there a lot in particular North Carolina? How, what is the national scope of pumpkin <laughs> growing? Well, it's international. It's oh, international. Okay. Yeah, there's there's actually this organization that supports um, giant vegetable growing, not just pumpkins, but you know sunflowers and gourds and watermelons and everything in between. Um, if if it can be grown giant, uh, the Great Pumpkin Commonwealth supports that, right? And it's um, that's the international one of the international organizations. We also have regional groups like the North Carolina um, Giant Vegetable Growers. Um, we have the Pacific Northwest, you know, and it, every region has, has their own group of supportive um, organizations for, for growers. And um, sometimes we go on cruises together and, um, you know, it's just, we, we always look for an excuse um, during the slow months of the year to kind of get together and share knowledge and exchange seeds and and um, learn from each other. It doesn't sound, um, the idea of sharing seeds, I like that because it doesn't sound like people are sort of hoarding their proprietary hybrid seeds. Or are they? Uh, <laughs> are they? Is there pumpkin Maybe. 
scandal? Well, I will say it's, it's hilarious. Um, people are extremely generous in terms of seeds, and there's enough seeds to go around for everyone. And really, if you, if you want seeds, just ask. However, that being said, I mean, there, if you're in it for competition, sure, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Lowe's, you can go to you know, one of these big box stores, and around you know, spring, you'll see these packages that say giant pumpkin, grow a giant pumpkin. You might grow one that's like 100 or 200 pounds. And that's nothing to laugh about. I mean, that's significant. That's bigger than most people have ever seen, right? The that's bigger person. than most people. Abs- yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good point. But if you're in it like we are in the competition world, that is almost laughable. So we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, 700, 800, 1,000 pound pumpkins, 2,000 pound pumpkins plus. So you need to start with really good genetics. So, um, you know, world record pumpkins, world record pumpkin seeds can, um, oftentimes you'll find those in um, auctions that these supportive organizations are, are hosting in the spring and we get crazy. We get crazy. It's like gambling, right? You have to like hold me back because Again, there's some fascination and awe and in terms of the unknown and the magic of like, if, if I had the seed, I would be able to achieve X, Y, Z, right? But it's not that it's simple, not right? It's not that simple. It's not just about the genetics, but genetics are really important. Yeah. So where do these pumpkins come from? Like, why are they giant? Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. not just any pumpkin seed can be a giant. Yeah. Have they been bred? I mean, how mm-hmm. does it, what is yeah. the science here? How does it work? It, it's really simple. Um, you know, nothing happens in a lab. You know, they're not um, modified in the way that we think about food today necessarily. It's, um, you know, it started, you had a couple of growers who grew a big, literally grew big pumpkins, you know, and they exchanged seeds the next season they're cross-pollinating and that happens over generations you're going to have larger and larger and larger and larger pumpkins and that's exactly how it started yeah oh yeah i mean yeah when i say sort of like they're high hy- like they're mm-hmm. growing in traditional ways that people would mm-hmm. hybridize plants mm-hmm. with cross-pollination right, right. right exactly and then did you this or is or self-pollination oh if, yeah if it's yeah you don't mm-hmm. just wait for the right bee to come along <laughs> exactly <laughs> well that's a whole other podcast oh <laughs> You're like, or do you wait for the right bee to come along? Yeah. Maybe you're the bee. Hmm. Yeah. Did you find, as you started to grow these giant pumpkins, did you have to change other things? Like, I'm going to need a bigger backyard. (laughs) I'm going to need a different automobile because my life is now determined by the pumpkin. Yes. Um, I think that every giant pumpkin grower or watermelon grower, giant watermelon grower, can relate to the little shop of horrors because that is our biography. Once you start to grow, even if you've done your research, you don't realize what you're getting into until you're in the middle of it. And at that point, it's like a marathon. You're, you're chasing after this plant. Um, you're not in control of it. It's in control of you. It's in control of your social life. It's control of your land. It's in control of every resource and every waking hour of your life. <laughs> especially the first especially the first year you learn to manage it the rest of your life um, in subsequent years but in everyone in your life it also affects yeah because, because you your can't life, stop talking yeah. about pumpkin and so they 
they start to learn and adapt to this language also. You, I've also heard you say, <laughs> and I, I want to verify that this is true, that during the height of the growing season, that you can go in and make a sandwich mm-hmm. for lunch and come back and see that the pumpkin is different. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how quickly yeah. it's growing. Yeah, I can recall in my first year, um, 2009, of growing. I took a break. I, you know, I did most of my growing. I had two jobs in two different cities, and my pumpkin patch was 45 minutes away from where I lived. So I did a lot of growing about every other day at night in my mom's backyard because I had a yard, but it was shaded. I had big oak trees. She had open land um, and plenty of sunlight. So I made the sacrifice and just did that. I committed to it. So I used a headlamp and a lot of other lights and extension cords to do my gardening at night um, and on weekends. So this one Saturday I was there and um, you know the weekends because of my life situation I had to uh, crunch a lot of the work in the patch on weekends. Mm -hmm. That was significant. I didn't go on vacations during that year just because of that situation but I was dedicated and so uh, I took a like a 30 minute break or whatever um, to go inside make a sandwich I came outside and I didn't recognize the patch anymore it was insane from the vines or the gourds themselves no it was it was from from the actual pumpkin the pumpkin itself yeah now do you when you start you have um well I could hear it as well See, this also blows my mind. Yeah. You said, do you have you audio? You can hear it. <laughs> I mean, this is I a don't. podcast. Someone needs to do this, though. Someone needs to. I don't, I don't have it, but maybe someone does. We will, Cut at some point, I mm-hmm. will come to North mm-hmm. Carolina, and we will go <laughs> record a pumpkin growing. Because I, I believe you, but that is really, inc- like, it's almost hard to believe. I wouldn't believe it if I heard me saying this either, so it's okay. Okay, you can hear you the pumpkin growing. <laughs> you can, yeah. yeah. And you can also see 30 mm-hmm. minutes you can mm-hmm. come back and it is. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, at the peak, if you're doing really, really well, they could grow like 30 to 50 pounds a day. But what surprised you most about this process in addition to just, mm-hmm. just the physical, the sound, the sight? But what was just a whole curveball? in this experience that you found yourself in? Well, um, like I mentioned before, I was very much chasing after the pumpkin. Um, It owned my life at a certain point because once it started to take off, and I can talk about that a little more, but once it started to take off, um, I realized I, 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 I can't just drop in once a week and do this. Like I have to come back every other day Ideally, I would be here every single day and it would be in my backyard um, because it's growing that fast. At, at one point, um, sort of in the peak of the, the growing season for the plant in the early phase, um, you know, I, I marked a stick where the end of the vine was and I came back the next day at around the same time and it was like five feet out from there in all directions, not just in growing forward. Um, it grew over, over to my mom's yard up and over the fence and into the neighbor's yard and we had to prune it <laughs> so i mean really little shop of horrors right yeah eating little children and all it's just i did not know what i was getting into um, my mom didn't realize what she was getting into when she said sure you could grow in my backyard so the the growth factor really was surprising to me 
in terms of um, how much energy I had to take of my life and put into this plant. Um, but really, was I even needed? I questioned that at some point. Yeah, would the pumpkin <laughs> just keep growing without you? Like it's gonna, the pumpkin's gonna pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pumpkin's gonna pumpkin. I mean, there's certain degree of. Um, Do you have to roll them? No, for no, no, shape. No. Yeah, there, there's a lot. Like the basics are start with good genetics. Um, as the pumpkin grows, you have to train it to sort of move in the direction that is that makes sense for your space and your patch, um, so that it has plenty of airflow to prevent um, disease from kind of setting in. Um, and for some other factors. And then you bury the vines to both anchor them, but also anchor them and encourage root growth so that if anything happens to the root, the, to the stump, um, it's still taking in nutrients and, and water from all over the patch, not just one place. Um, another reason to bury the vines is to prevent squash vine borers from finding your vine and digging in and, and ruining your plant. So a lot of advantages to that. Um, that's definitely something giant pumpkins do giant pumpkin growers do. Um, in addition, whenever it's time for the, the baby pumpkins to appear that on the female flowers, you have to be selective about which one you're going to use, right? And so part of it's working with mother nature, part of it's, you know, could be self-pollination, um, could be you pollinating it, you being the bee, quote unquote. A lot of times that's what uh, competition growers will do. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's a pumpkin plant, just like any other plant, any other pumpkin plant. It's going to want to put out multiple pumpkins, but for competition, you can only have one pumpkin per one plant. So you have to pick off all of the other babies and let all the energy go into one. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a lot of decisions. Who are you going with? (laughs) Yeah. Who are you going with? Right. All eggs in one basket. Um, and there's a science to, you know, determining where on the plant, how far out and all of this. There's a whole science about that. But that's, that's generally it. And then you, you feed it um, as organically as possible. I think uh, the plants re- tend to respond better to that. In growing pumpkins, what you brought to the process in the ways that you've tried to do it and everything that surprised you, what's been like something you've learned either about the process itself or just kind of like bigger picture when you step back and reflect on Mm -hmm. kind of your 10 years of growing pumpkins? I think um, all of that taking into account, I I think that there, there is a thread of um, truth to Jack and the Beanstalk, <laughs> to Cinderella's carriage, to you know James and the Giant Peach, um, that these are real stories, um, and I know that because I've lived it. I have seen it. I have touched it in a very visceral way, and it's not about growing this giant fruit, right? This pumpkin, or the outcome. It's about everything else that we've grown in the process. You know, I've grown as a person. I learn more in my backyard, you know, in my pumpkin patch than I have in any classroom that I've ever been in. I learn about myself. I learn about limitations. I learn about control and lack of control. I learn about how to bounce back from 
challenges, how to address challenges, how to be creative, how to be resourceful, how to ask for help. <laughs> uh, how, because you can't do this alone. It's just like raising a child. You need, you need a village. It's very much the same way. I did, I did not grow a pump, bit giant pumpkin by myself in any way. It's like you everyday know, magic. It is everyday mag- magic, yes. And for everyone who came over, it was that way. Folks who didn't even come over, but sort of followed me on Facebook. I kind of, sort of used it like a grower diary, if you will, a visual grower diary. And people that I, I didn't even really know very well apparently were following this. Um, I, I was told by some folks that it's like the only reason that they kept the Facebook Facebook page <laughs> it was because they wanted to see what was going on in my pumpkin patch, you know, um, and they were really addicted to it. Um, and if I didn't post something one day, they would just get very upset. <laughs> so they were like, know, "I know that pumpkins grow." Very invested, yeah. very invested, like a TV show, um, you know, very addicted. And so, anyway, folks have just come forward, and I love that. Like it was a communal pumpkin. Um, and every pumpkin that I've grown or have supported other growers and, and you know, seeing to fruition um, since then, I've seen it. It just, it brings people together in a way that I haven't really seen anything else do. You know, I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care what language you speak or where you're from in the world. If, if you show someone a picture of a giant pumpkin, the reaction is the same, just universally. You know, it's this amazement disbelief but also just just and then the 20 questions that follow <laughs> yeah like yeah. the ones i've had <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it's so um i liked what you said about you know we have all these stories about cinderella's carriage mm-hmm. and james and the giant peach mm-hmm. and jack and the beanstalk mm-hmm. and that we think of those as just not real but mm-hmm. i mean they are i mean it is it like, is it is just this it's kind of story yeah it's entirely possible mm-hmm. That's really amazing. Do you also, do you know the um, the Chief Orrin Lyons Truth of oh, the Pumpkin yeah. story? Mm-hmm. Like, as you're talking, I'm just <laughs> hearing that, that it is... More truth. It's yeah. more truth. Yeah. It's just right. this, you put a pumpkin in the middle of the table and everyone sits around it and what you see is important. It's never about the pumpkin at all. It's not right. really about this fruit. It's, it's about everything else that you're growing and developing. Um, and the thing about it is I've, I've supported other, um, you know, first time growers or folks who are just starting out. Um, and I tell them don't concentrate on the outcome because keep in mind if, if this was easy, everyone would do it. Right. And you know, there's the chances of you winning, you know, in your first couple of years are very low. Granted I did but I wasn't in charge. <laughs> I swear I wasn't in charge. Like I had some luck. I had a lot working with me that was outside of me for me to be so successful that first year. Um, in hindsight, I don't know how that happened, but you know, I, I do think that that success quote unquote set me in motion in terms of my determination to, to keep doing this hobby but also spread the love and joy and opportunity to experience the magic to other people. I, I would be so unhappy if I just grew giant pumpkins by myself. I would, it would just, what's the point? You know, you, it's, it's, it is like, it compels you to share it with other people. So I want other people to have that experience as well. There's something about, it's not just about being in the patch, 
and all the magic that happens from the soil and the plant and just viscerally being in there physically. But it's about even folks who, like I said, have never visited my patch. It impacts their lives on a daily basis. They're talking about it around their kitchen table. It's like, how is this happening? How is this fruit sort of transforming and transcending these spaces? And pe it's, it's impacting people's lives in terms of their relationships and their communities. And it reminds them of the impossible and that you, it is a possibility. Again, like James and the Giant Peach and Jack and the Beanstalk and all of these things. Um, it, it makes you question fairy tales in every way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we can, we can do this. We can do, we can do this. But again, it's like recognizing the relationships that we're not doing this alone. We're doing this in conjunction with each other, but also just all of our relatives, broadly speaking, from the earth to yes yeah. yes all of our relatives the insects the the ecosystem right right when you can see the world in that way that's where the power and magic comes right it's not just you trying to grow a giant pumpkin it's you're you're working with all the elements and creating something that's so much bigger than anything that my little measly mind could imagine yeah it's it's like bigger than the biggest pumpkin yes, you can imagine. It is. It is. Yeah. Thank you for listening this week. We hope we've prepared you for your own visit from the great pumpkin in a few days. We'd like to thank Randy for joining us, and we'd like to thank the American Indian Center at UNC Chapel Hill for allowing us to record in their space. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines and Ajua Danso are my co-producers. Lindsay Baker is our marketing director. You can see pictures of Randy and her giant pumpkins on our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com. And you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find him at brianhorton.com. Next week, we're bringing you an important episode about the debate over the recently removed Confederate monument known as Silent Sam on UNC Chapel Hill's campus. Melinda Maynard-Lowry and William Sturkey join us for that conversation. Until then, make like a giant pumpkin and grow.